heard you singing. Yep. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, my name's Todd, for those of you I don't know, and I am joined up here on stage uh, with, uh, with me at the table here uh, by Peaches Peterson. Why don't you give it up for Peaches this morning? <laughs> Peaches, Peaches, um, you and Cole, we've known you guys for a decade now, about, um, and uh, you guys have lived here that long, and I remember meeting you over at the uh, old location, and uh, this week, as we kind of round the corner, and uh, we're heading into the last week of our series, Come Together, where we've been talking about um, different things that have the tendency, kind of the natural tendency to divide us, not just us in terms of uh, Christ followers, but us as a culture, us as Christians, us as a culture, us as a community. Um, we've been talking about what the Bible says about coming together and what the Bible says about uh, celebrating those differences and coming together uh, really under the unity of Jesus. And so Peaches has joined me today um, to talk about a subject that has probably the potential to divide more than any other here in our culture and here in the United States, and that's the subject of, of racism. And today, we're going to be talking about ethnic diversity and racism and um, race and recon racial reconciliation, what the church has to do about that and what our responsibility as a church is to do about that. And I realize that, like, you come in here and you're like, uh, you know, it's just good to be in church today, and then all of a sudden um, I just launch out on this thing about racism, and I feel the tension. It's okay. Let's just say that it's okay this morning, isn't it, Peaches? And so, uh, and so let's lean into that. Let's lean into what God is going to do, what he is doing. And I wanted to start just by asking Peaches um, to tell a little bit of her story and her background. And um, why don't you tell them about where you came from and a little bit of your background, Peaches? I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, uh, born and raised there. Um, born in one of the few, at the time, it was the only hospital where black people could come and have children. It was Providence Hospital. Um, left, born, raised there, went to college. Um, I'm the only child of two parents from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, my mother was the youngest of 14, and my father was the ninth of 13. Mm. Uh, I know. That's wow. kind of scary. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would go every summer. My mother felt it was very important, and my dad, for me to know my whole family and to know the world outside of Chicago. And so when the school would let out, I was thrown in the back of a car, literally, <laughs> and driven to Alabama. When we got to Missouri, this is my recollections from the time I was six, seven. When we got to Missouri, we could no longer stop. Mm. We had to drive straight through to Alabama. Mm. We couldn't stop at the bathroom. Uh, my mother always packed a lunch because we couldn't stop. And, um, if I had to go to the bathroom, I remember one time my mother says, you've got to go in the weeds. Mm. I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> it was just too much for me. Um, but I would make that trip to Alabama, and it was a different world for me. It was a totally different world. And so by the time I was a teenager, I really, really did not like the South. Mm. And I did not like Southerners because... They were, uh, they made me feel very uncomfortable and they made me feel not wanted. 
and I didn't know there was colored water. I thought water was water, and so the first time I saw a sign, I didn't know. I thought it was I thought it was really colored water. Oh wow! Uh, wow. <laughs> mm. um, married my husband, and you know he's a corporate guy, and so we always figured we'd be going north because that was our comfort level. But God keep, kept bringing us south. <laughs> Every time we moved, it was south. It was south. And um, there was one state we lived in that I literally cried when mm. I knew we were going to mm. move there. Um, and our kids were raised kind of all over the place. My daughter considers St. Louis, Missouri her home, and my son considers Arkansas his, song, his home. That's where he was raised, so it's kind of funny. Um, so that's kind of, you know, my, my dad, um, I gotta tell you a story. My dad was smuggled out of Alabama when he was 16 by his brothers and sisters. Wow. You know, um, slavery was over, but there were some things called sharecroppers and my father's family was a sharecropper and he would get paid a dime a day for picking a bale of cotton. And, um... All of his brothers and sisters managed to literally get out of Sawyerville, Alabama, which is a suburb of Birmingham. My father elected to stay with uh, his father, my grandfather, and um, the man wouldn't let my father go to school. He wouldn't, he wouldn't allow him to go to school because he would be out of the cotton fields. So his older sisters, who by that time lived in Chicago, smuggled my dad out and my dad lived in a dilapidated building in Birmingham for six months before he could get enough train fare to get to Chicago. Mm. I have to tell you about my parents. <laughs> my mother had a similar experience. My mother was very, she still is, very beautiful woman, okay? Um, very long hair, um, very light skinned. Um, you know, black people get darker as they age. I was very, very light. <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger. Um, and um, she left Alabama because her father um, thought that she would be raped because she was very beautiful and it was, they, they abused women. So that's how my parents got to Chicago. Wow. Um, but my parents should have been people who had racial prejudice, but they weren't. Yeah. My parents always taught me, you judge a person by who they are and how they treat you. Wow. And you know, race is not a factor. Mm. And if I had relatives that came to my house and spoke in racial terms, they were asked to leave. Wow. Mm. Wow. So my parents made a stand. Yeah. Uh, and I thank God that mm. they made a stand. Wow, wow. So t tell me this, because I love your story and I love your background. And we've talked um, in your home and, and when we've uh, gotten together with you and Cole about a little bit about your parents and some of your story, have the, um, the, the pleasure and the honor of being at your, your dad's memorial uh, just a couple years ago. And uh, what a great man um, he was. And so I love your, your background and your story. Tell me, Peaches, um, I, we, we live in a pretty homogenous community, right? So we, I mean, let's face it, let's face it, church, right? We do. I mean, for the most part, we're a pretty, pretty white community. Um, and there is, um, we were at a uh, session this week with our principal at the high school, Amanda O'Nan, and she talked about 
the growing number of minorities in, in our high school. And uh, so I believe that's beginning to change. And we have a large number of um, Latino and Hispanic population growing number there. Um, but, you know, and, and, and African-American, black, um, but we're still pretty, we're pretty homogenous. How, how do we celebrate our, our differences? How do we come together and, 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 and enjoy diversity because God made us the way that we are, right? He created us as we are. I, I, he created me as, I'll put it the way that m one of my bosses put it. He said, you're the whitest guy I know, Todd. <laughs> and so, like, he created us like this. What, how do we come together and celebrate our differences and diversities while at the same time remaining respectful and civil? I would say we model Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a diverse, uh, I mean, he spent his life in I didn't tell her to say that, population. by the way, just no, so you know, okay. In diverse populations, you he know, did. these disciples that you hear about, they weren't all white and blue-eyed. Mm. Um, and so you need to look to the Bible for your model of, how, in my opinion, of how we as people should act. Wow. And, I, and I think... For us to get better as a people, as a nation, I consider us one people, we have to look racism in the face and call it what it is. Mm -hmm. We need to stop being polite and saying, well, you know, you know, in the South they would say, Lord bless him, Lord bless him. I remember <laughs> that. And I would resent that so much mm -hmm. because the Lord is not blessing somebody who's, who's calling me a name. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I remember when my daughter, <laughs> she was six and we lived in a state and she was going to trial for uh, Alice in Wonderland. My daughter's very gregarious and you know, she's funny. And one of her classmates said to her, if you try out, it will be Alice in, in oh, land. Wow. My daughter was six years old. She didn't know what that was. So she came home and that was her first experience with racism and she came home she says mommy what do what does that mean uh -huh. what is that why did they say that to me why mm -hmm. you know and I had to explain to her the connotation of that word and, and mm -hmm. I need to tell you that was one of the most difficult conversations uh -huh. I had mm -hmm. because here I was an upwardly mobile person um, I would be considered you know very well off. and I'm explaining to my daughter she's going to school with people like that I had to explain to my daughter mm -hmm. it comes from the home racism comes from the home um, people are not born racist mm -hmm. they're not born prejudiced they mm -hmm. learn it from their parents mm -hmm. and for us to use the excuse whether my parents were like that doesn't cut it mm -hmm. because there are relatives that I have cut out of my life because they refuse mm -hmm. not to be racist and I will not have mm. racism around me. And mm. so I call it what it is. Mm. I speak to it. Um, I like people to say to me, you know, Peaches, why do black people feel this way? Why, you know, that doesn't bother me because that's, that's mm. you're trying to understand. Mm. It's not a criticism. Yeah. What I don't like is people to come up to me and say, well, you know, mm. you're not like them. You and Coleman are kind of different. Mm. And I always say, who's them? Mm. <laughs> who's, who, who are you talking about? How are, what, what, you know? And so you put people politely on the spot yeah. to say, you know, when my child grew up, and this is a very simple thing, um, I bought her pit, uh, you know, stories with all kinds of people in them. They weren't just white people and they weren't black people. Mm. That's the first things parents can do 
if you create an environment for your children where it's where they don't see just one type of person all the time, that through the books you give them. My, do my daughter had white dolls, she had black dolls, she had Asian dolls. Mm -hmm. So she, woke, she grew up with a community and everything wasn't black, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. but everything wasn't white either. So, you know, one of the things that I, you just mentioned about your daughter and what she faced and uh, whether it's ignorance or, or, or perhaps innocence, it's hard to, for, for me to fathom that, that that kind of blatant race, racism existed even, and I know Rana, you know, however 20-something years ago, um, it's hard to even imagine, but it does and it exists still today. But I believe that maybe the, the more insidious or more dangerous form of racism may exist in a much more subtle way. Um, how, how does the church, what is the church's, in your mind, what is the church's responsibility um, in, in regards to you know, promoting um, a better culture uh, where racism is, is stomped out and, and um, not tolerated, but at the same time we have civil discussion about it. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts about that. I think it's important for the church because we are Christians and we all bro are brothers and sisters. We need to talk about it. Yeah. We need to yep. really have honest conversation about mm. it. You know, I worked the polls at the midterm elections and um, I had a young white man come to me as a poll worker. He says, you can't be a poll worker. He says, you're not an American. And that hurt me to my core. Mm. It hurt me to my core. And um, I had that day about four or five racial mm. comments made to me. Mm. Mm. Um, and I'm here on Hilton Head Island. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, it was very difficult for me that day to work mm. the polls. Very difficult for me. Yeah. Um, I think that the church really does need to talk about it. Yes. I knew the church needs to have an honest dialogue about it. I think the church, when they show things, it should not be just all white people mm -hmm. on the screen. Mm -hmm. And uh, Todd knows I'm a big one about that, because I think when I first met him, he had something on the screen. I said, Todd, there's no black people. <laughs> so, well, it was my family, I know, to, to I be know, fair. I right? So, so I, I think... <laughs> I think there's a polite way to do it, but you have to have, when you look at materials, mm. it has to reflect our culture. It's true. Yep. And our culture is not one type of people. Yeah. And so right. the church has to step out in front of that. Um, I love it when I see pastors, black pastors, white pastors, mm. you know, uh, rabbi, to standing together over some issue. Mm. That is strong. That's given a strong message very subtly to people. Yeah. Um, yes. I think that in our church, you know, in this church, when Coleman and I came to the church, what, 10 years ago? Yeah. The parking lot is what made us join. <laughs> we had spent a year here looking for church. And when you're black, unfortunately, you have to be careful. I went to a, we went to a Baptist church, and they invited us out. So... You know, mm. you, you can't get angry because I see it as ignorance. Yeah. And so when we came to the parking lot here, it was the first church we came to here that, that the people in the parking lot came up and warmly greeted us and welcomed us. 
And we all looked at each other and said, okay, this is a church. Mm -hmm. uh, and from there on, we began to get involved. And, you know, I don't like it when a family has one white black friend. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll say, oh, I got the black friend. That cracks me up. <laughs> you know, that cracks me up. You, you bond with people because you have things in common. Mm. You like the same things. Mm. Um, and so by natural, just by natural things, you become integrated. You mm. become, and, you, and once you do that, you can open up that conversation. Mm. You know, one of the things that I started here was a book club, and I didn't want it to be all black people. I want to be integrated. <laughs> so we're the only integrated book club on this island. So That's great. when we started to read books, we have a different perspective. Mm. And so through that, we have become such good friends. We call each other our sisters, and there are 12 of us. And we won't let anybody else in the book club. So, <laughs> so, but we are so close, mm. and we have talked about things that are so difficult, where some of us have been in tears. And it's not all the people that are black in this book club, it's some whites, because they look at how, in their lifetime, racism was kind of tolerated in their home, so they grew up with it, oh. uh, saying that they weren't racist, but you really are. And by the way, black people can be racist, too. Mm, okay, yes. let me put that on the table. And let me also put this on the table. Racism exists in so many different forms. It's not just a, a white and black issue. It, it is across the board. And I think at the root of it is this little thing called sin. Yes. And I, I just want to thank you, Peaches, for, for your courage to be here today and to have this kind of dialogue because I think that this is kind of just a start of what the church should be doing um, to help end this terrible sin of, of racism. The other thing I want to thank you for is you and Coleman have played a big part in the life of our church. You guys are members here. Coleman has served on our stewardship team. And this lady next to me, and I'm going to start getting a little bit teary-eyed here, but you've had an impact in both of my kids in their spiritual walk with the Lord. Because um, at least once a month, I believe, you are back in Ignite teaching our uh, preteens. So if we need to pray for you for any reason, it's that right there. So I got a lot, um, a lot of boys in that class. Yeah, there's a bunch of them, aren't there? So, hey, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Why don't you thank Peaches this morning? Thank you, thank you Paul, at that stage. <laughs> It's not an easy subject to talk about, and I want to just thank Peaches for making it a little bit easier. And today, um, I, I want to focus on just uh, what God's Word says about this. And, I, you know, I just got to be honest and, and realize that, that this is the week of Thanksgiving, and so the, maybe the tension that you, you are feeling right now or the tension that you felt over these last few minutes about talking about and discussing this subject that can be so divisive. Um, get ready because it's the week of Thanksgiving. You have to have 
lunch or dinner with your family this week at some point in time. So it may get worse from here. So, hey, I just want to hit a couple things. Um, my my um, little girl is no, not little anymore. She, she talks about um, having no filter. And, and with Instagram and social media, you will often see a hashtag. You'll often see something when this picture is taken where it's so incredibly beautiful and it looks like it's been touched up. It looks like it's been had a filter applied to it. And someone will say, this is no filter, you know, hashtag no filter. And I believe that best describes the gospel. And as Peach has so eloquently put it, um, what Jesus does is what we should do. The filter has no gospel. But I want to just briefly give you just kind of in a very short version what I believe is the problem at the root of racism and then also the resolution. You see, we are uniquely created by God. And that's the reason that as Peach has talked about, that in her book club, um, they can celebrate the diversity. It's the reason that we as a culture have the ability to celebrate the diversity that we have and the differences that we have and the different ethnic backgrounds and the different color of our skin is because God has created us uniquely. We are all uniquely created by God. We're created by him, but racism exists because of sin. The story of the Bible is is that sin entered the world at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden that God had intended for it to be perfect. Man decided to rebel and sin. And at that moment, racism began. Every every sin and every corresponding uh, result of that began right there in the Garden of Eden. Racism being one of those things. And it has really been in existence since the beginning of sin. But we are all the same at the foot of the cross. And that's where the gospel has no filter. And I want you to hear that this morning. The gospel has no filter. It was for everyone. And today, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you turn to Ephesians chapter 2. There are a lot of different passages that talk about racism with a story. The book of Acts is filled with, as, as the church began to expand, it's filled with stories of how the gospel went across racial and ethnic boundaries. Jesus um, went across, as, as Peach has talked about, racial and ethnic boundaries just in his selecting of the disciples themselves. I think it was interesting that in your book club you have 12, by the way. That's great. So, uh, it, you know, it went across racial and ethnic boundaries. And Jesus himself led and gave us the example of this. But in Ephesians 2, I think Paul makes it very clear because the difference that was probably most stark and brought up in the first church, believe it or not, was the difference of a decision to be circumcised or not. And he uses that example. He uses that example to talk about racism. I want you to hear this today. This is Ephesians 2, and we're going to be just reading a few verses here, beginning with verse 11. Paul writes this, and he says, Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated, he says, from the commonwealth of Israel. He says, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus 
you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of what? Hostility. He says that he has brought down the dividing wall of hostility. And he goes on to say, by abolishing the law of, the, of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in the one body through the cross, thereby kill it, killing the hostility. Let me talk just a few minutes, and I was going to read a little bit more, but I don't think time permits. Let me just talk for a few minutes about what Paul is trying to say here. If you take a look at verse 12, and you take a look at those verses from verse 12 through verse 17, Paul is trying to draw a very hard, wide line between the time that we have before Jesus and the time that we have after Jesus. He uses words like, at one time you were this, at another time you were this, once you were this, now you're this, then you were this way, now you are this way. And he's drawing an extremely wide line in drawing a contrast between who we were before Jesus and who we now are in Christ. And so he's trying to draw a chronological line saying that at one time in verse 12, he says, we were alienated, we were strangers, we were without hope. I can't really talk about racism. I'm a white kid that grew up in suburban Atlanta. I lived in Stone Mountain, Georgia, for goodness sake, for a period of time. And so I hope that you've heard from Peach's story that because of the sin, and let's call it what it is, it's a sin, of racism, that there have been so many people that have felt the way that we were before Christ. They have felt like aliens. They have felt like strangers. And they have felt like they had no hope. But what Paul is also saying here is he's saying that the gospel message is not just a bringing together spiritually of those of us who once didn't have hope and once were far from the Father and now are near to the Father because of what Christ did on the cross, but he is also saying that Jesus brought down the wall of what? Hostility. Anger. Hatred. Prejudice. And he says because of Christ, he brought down that wall. And I wonder why 2,000 years later, 11 a.m. is still the most segregated hour of society. And the short answer is, is because sin still exists. But I don't believe that we as Christ followers in our day and age, I don't think that we as the church today 
can say, well, it's just sin and it's the way that it is and move on with life. I don't think that's sufficient. I don't think, church, that we should be satisfied by the norm, by just the way that it is. I believe that we have a higher responsibility. I believe that we are to come together. Sin, yes, it separates, but through Christ, we are one. He repeats this whole idea in Romans, uh, or excuse me, in Ephesians 3, 6, when he says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the, what does he say there? Same, say it with me, church. Members of the what? Same body. And partakers of the promise in Christ, Jesus through the gospel. I remember as a kid, I took things apart. I'm, I'm, a, I was, I'm a boy, all right? I, that's what boys do. That's what kids do. And back before the iPhone, that's what we did. We took clocks apart. We took engines apart. And I took a golf ball, and I cut it in half when I was a kid. Went down in the basement, put it on my dad's vice, and I took a hacksaw, and I cut it in half. And back in that day, in the center of a golf ball, you know what there was? Essentially, rubber bands, and I couldn't believe how as soon as I got through that first layer of that probably Titleist, and I think my dad was probably mad about it, uh, as soon as I cut through that first layer, all of a sudden, the rubber bands went everywhere. I literally ran up the stairs. I was scared to death. I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? There's an alien inside of the golf ball. <laughs> you see, that's what happens in terms of race, in terms of racism. In terms of sin, when we don't have Jesus, it expands, it separates, it blows up, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. It goes into a thousand directions. Paul says, we are not many, we are one in Christ. Listen, we are one family, church. The, the people that you love or don't love, if you're a Christ follower here today, when you get to heaven, they're going to be there. Yes, even the ones you don't love. They're going to be there too if they're Christ followers, if they've asked Jesus to be their Savior. Those who you have the same ethnicity and those who are different than you, we are all one day, those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will live for eternity together because we are one. And so I believe the church has an inherent responsibility to live with no filter. And it begins first and foremost by us seeing ourselves as God sees us. I believe that it begins with us seeing ourselves and others as God sees us. I think that we as people should enjoy our differences. We should enjoy the way that God has created us. We should celebrate his creation when we see those differences. Those differences God instilled in us and it put in us not to divide us and not to create division. But he created us so that we could celebrate his goodness and so first and foremost, if we're going to live with no filter, we've got to see ourselves as God sees us. The second thing that we've got to do is I believe that we can never think more of ourselves than others. And let's face it, whatever kind of racism it is, the reason that it exists 
is because of this word, better. Because at some point in time, we thought that we were better than someone else. We thought that we have the upper hand on someone else. And whatever form of racism that exists in the church that makes us seem like we are better than someone else in a more powerful position than someone else and we use that for our gain we leverage it to be more powerful we are making ourselves gods and it's sin and it leads to destruction and the third thing that i think that we can do (laughs) to have no filter is to view everyone as god's perfectly designed creation We don't look at ourselves only and say this is God's perfectly designed creation, but we look around and we say the same thing. And then lastly, is that we are not silent when we're confronted with racism. In its obvious and its subtle forms. Listen, church, I believe this this is one thing that Jesus, this is one of the many things that he did, but it's one thing that impacts us more than anything else as a church. Unfortunately, it used to have a huge, 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 its tentacles went deep into the church. And perhaps political correctness has washed our mouths, and it's helped us be more civil as a society. But i got to be honest, I think that our mouths now may be clean, but our hearts were never changed. Our hearts were never changed really transformed by the power of Jesus. And my encouragement, my challenge to you today is that if we are going to come together under the message of Jesus, under that singular focus, having unity found in him, we are going to do everything that we can to stand against this issue. And it begins right here. It begins in our hearts. It begins with our own attitude towards others. Yeah, it's a heavy Thanksgiving message, I realize. I'm supposed to send you on your way today, enjoying this week, getting together with family, eating more food than you've eaten in months. But I'm telling you first, before you do that, to stop and inspect your heart like I've inspected mine over these past few weeks preparing for today. And I'm asking us, church, Hilton Head Island Community Church, to be the leaders in doing everything that we can to stomp out racism in our community, in our world, but it begins right here. Father God, I thank you so much for Peaches, for Coleman. God, I thank you for their influence in our church, in our kids' lives And God, I thank you for her bravery, for standing up here on this platform today, regardless of her background, in spite of the many things that she has had to experience in this world. And she was willing to stand up here courageously telling her story. God, I thank you for that. But I thank you for the many stories that are in this place. God, I pray that we would be people who reconcile with others. 
God, whether it's a family or maybe a friend, God, whether it's someone that we have offended in the past and we know that we need to go back and to ask forgiveness, God, perhaps it's someone we're going to sit across the table with this week. And maybe it's going to be uncomfortable and maybe it's going to be a little bit humiliating. But God, you died on the cross. You humbled yourself in the worst way. You brought us peace. You brought us reconciliation from the Father. And you tell us now to go out and to reconcile with others. And that includes, perhaps first and foremost, those who are different than us. God, I pray that we as a church would be as passionate about this as we are anything else because included in the gospel is this reconciliation that we have the great privilege to have with you because of what you did on the cross. And God, I just pray for each one of us in this place. I pray that before we go on with the the activities of our week, God, I pray that you, that your Holy Spirit would inspect our hearts. God, that without condemnation and without the fear of judgment, God, with the thought in mind that we're all sinful, but also the thought in mind that you sent Jesus to die on the cross, that we would be honest about where we are with this issue. And God, if there's any kind of prejudice that we may still hang on to, we may not speak it, but we hang on to it. God, I pray that you would take it out of our hearts, that you would take it out of our minds, that you would remove it and the root of it from our lives so that we can be the best light, so that we can be the greatest reconcilers for you. God, so that we can go out and passionately proclaim your message of hope and of home and of safety and of eternity in heaven because of what you did on the cross. God, I pray that your reconciliation of us would prompt us to be people who bring peace and reconciliation into our world. And that includes people of different ethnic backgrounds and races. God, help us to stand strong against this, to call it out when we see it, to confront it when we must. And God, I pray that we would be the beginning of a transformation in our community and in our world. And I pray that it would begin right in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray.